So I think these changes are happening out of necessity. Employers and industry in general are facing a labor crisis, and they've recognized that historically their mills have mostly employed white men and that there's a massive untapped labor pool in women and Indigenous people and others that have historically not worked in mills. And that in order to attract those folks to the mills, they need to create a safe, inclusive workplace for them or they won't be able to retain them once they can get them through the door. Free to Grow in Forestry, a podcast working to move forestry forward. Canadian Institute of Forestry and the Centre for Social Intelligence proudly present the Free to Grow in Forestry podcast. The Free to Grow in Forestry initiative was launched to create a diverse and inclusive workplace culture where all Canadians feel they belong. We believe strongly that inclusive cultures not only strengthen our Canadian forest sector economy, but also create resilient and healthy communities. This podcast seeks out guests from all aspects of the forest sector, from the C-suite to every part of the underrepresented communities, to open up the dialogue on issues of concern and points of view so that everyone has greater knowledge and understanding of each other. By unearthing these discussions, we hope to stimulate greater empathy and respect for all people, opening up the forest sector to be more welcoming and accepting of everyone. For our 13th episode, we are pleased to be joined by our host, Kelly Cooper, founder and CEO of the Centre for Social Intelligence, and our guest, Lana Love. Lana is a maintenance supervisor, journey level millwright, BC Centre for Women in the Trades regional representative, and director at large for the BC Tradeswomen Society. As the first woman to complete a millwright apprenticeship, and also the first to work in the role of maintenance supervisor with the Solid Wood Division of Canfor, Lana gives us a window of insight on how to navigate the trades industry as a woman. This session was recorded live on May 9th, 2022. My name is Kelly Cooper, and I'm the host of the Free to Grow in Forestry podcast. Today, we are going to explore the issues women face in the technical and trades positions in the forest sector in an effort to help increase awareness and understanding for executives, colleagues, and women looking at this as a career option. The number of women in the trades is remarkably low here in Canada. The workplace environment is often considered unattractive, and the pay between men and women is also considered an issue. Our guest today is Lana Love who wears many hats in the forest sector in the area of women in the trades. And I'll be deferring to her to introduce herself. Lana will be sharing her insights on what she's witnessed since she started working as a tradeswoman many years ago and where things are today. I think she's going to have some important messages for everyone to take away. So Lana, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Lana, tell us about yourself, the line of work you do, and what attracted you to it in the first place. Sure. So, um... I am a small town girl. I grew up in a small logging community of about 50 people. Right now I work as a uh, maintenance supervisor at a sawmill. Um, I'm a Red Seal millwright and a sea ticket welder as well. I moved away to Vancouver after after graduating high school. I spent five years there where I uh, got my sea ticket for welding, but I eventually made my way back where I started and started working at the local sawmill. Since it was such a small rural community, it was difficult to, for them to get skilled labor. Um, so they ended up opening up several millwright apprenticeships. 
and I saw this as an opportunity to become an asset. The mill had previously closed for a couple of years, then reopened, and I wanted to be in a position where I would have better job security and be able to provide for my daughter on my own if I needed to. Because I got hired in the first group of new hires at the mill when it reopened, my seniority was higher than it would have been otherwise. Combined with the fact that only a few of us out of 25 passed the aptitude test, I was able to start my apprenticeship only one year after starting at the mill, which is not common. Once I was done my apprenticeship, I transferred to Canfor's Isle Pierre Mill outside of Prince George, where I worked as a journey millwright for a year and a half. My superintendent at the time noticed that I was interested in helping out the planner and was asking for more responsibility. So they set me up with an opportunity to get some leadership experience as the graveyard charge hand at the planer. Uh, I did well. And after a few months, when the graveyard maintenance supervisor position came open, I was successful in earning that position. And the rest is history. <laughs> when you say the graveyard position, can you give uh, the audience a bit of an understanding of what that means? Sure. For the maintenance supervisor position, I started work at 11 p.m. and mm-hmm. at the maintenance team ready to go in in the sawmill for maintenance while we were down because we, we worked five eight, So we had uh, about a seven hour window of maintenance. And then I would make my way over to the planer and do the same with the planer maintenance folks and just manage their, their work and the cleanup that sort of thing. So it was a tough year and a half. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't built for graveyard shift. (laughs) Yeah, that's hard on your body. And you have a couple of other hats that you wear. Do you want to share that as well? Sure. So I participate lots. Uh, I'll talk more about it later, but in Canfor's Inclusion and Diversity Council and through that work, I was introduced to the BC Centre for Women in the Trades and the regional rep training program that they have for some women in trades uh, to participate in outreach work. So I was able to participate in that. And since then as well, I was elected as a director at large for the BC Trades Women's Society, which is a nonprofit that advocates for women in the trades. Been a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very exciting. Okay, so what changes have you seen occurring in diversity and inclusion over the last few years? Sure. So I remember when I first started my apprenticeship, uh, the HR person at the mill that I worked at then went around the millwright shop and had to take down all of the the nude calendars and the inappropriate posters. I was not aware that this occurred. And I also was not aware that everyone was very mad at me for this. Uh, (laughs) Until later, when I got to know my peers, uh, they did let me know that that had occurred and what their response had been to it. But I was really lucky that once they did get to know me, they were quite accepting for the most part. We've definitely come a long way since then. In the last few years, I've seen the formation of Canfor's Inclusion and Diversity Council, which I was asked to be a part of when my then mentor recognized that I could lend a unique and much needed, in her opinion, voice and perspective. And since then, they've all, there's also been the formation of several employee resource and network groups for women, Black and Indigenous employees, as well as cultural awareness and unconscious bias training for the staff and Indigenous cultural awareness training for hourly employees. That's all very new. That's all in the last few years. And it's, uh, it's really good to see. Why do you think these changes are happening now? 
So I think these changes are happening out of necessity. Employers and industry in general are facing a labor crisis, and they've recognized that historically their mills have mostly employed white men and that there's a massive untapped labor pool in women and Indigenous people and others that have historically not worked in mills. And that in order to attract those folks to the mills, they need to create a safe, inclusive workplace for them, or they won't be able to retain them once they can get them through the door. For sure. And so these uh, employee resource groups, you're participating in one for women, is that right? And or or for the trades? How does that set, how was that set up? So the, the Women Employee Network Group, I'm also a part of the Indigenous Engagement Group as well. We basically discuss barriers that we see for these specific groups. Um, they're essentially working groups that will tackle specific issues and find uh, try to find you know solutions specifically for those issues as well. So some of the work that we're doing in the Women's Employee Network Group is, you know, we're, we're looking at our, our PPE, for instance. That's one thing that we're looking at is making sure that we have PPE for everybody, not necessarily gender gender specific, like just for women. It, it's, it's PPE that fits everybody, you know, and we're not all the same shape and size. And something that I'm finding with a lot of this is that... Um, there's benefits for the men as well in, in these groups, you know, like a, a lot of what we're doing, it, it's not just for women, it's not just for Indigenous employees, we're seeing that the things that we're tackling are, there are benefits for everyone. So it's, it's pretty positive and encouraging. Can you explain on that a little bit? Like, how is it benefiting them? Right. So, uh, you know, specifically talking about the PPE as an example, um, one of the things was that we don't we don't have smaller sizes. And in exploring that, we realized this wasn't an issue for women. This was an issue for folks in the mill that don't fit the current sizes that maybe don't have the you know, they don't feel comfortable um, stepping up and saying something and possibly alienating themselves or bringing attention to themselves in a way that makes them different than other people. So when we tackle these issues for these groups, we end up you know, accidentally taking care of them for everybody. <laughs> yes, I, I see that. In fact, I talk about that a lot about how we are looking now to recognize that men need to find their voice mm-hmm. and we need to create a safe space for them to do so without feeling Absolutely. ostracized by their peers. So that's a really good example of, of what I talk about all the time. Absolutely. Very good. So um, are there some specific tips that you have for any young women entering or considering entering the trades positions that you would be able to share with us that would help them navigate their jobs more effectively? Yeah, I've thought about this actually a lot. I think about it often because I'm sometimes, you know, challenged with the dilemma of wanting to bring more women in, but then being worried about what the experience might be like for them if I can get them through the door. And so I think my first advice would be if you have the opportunity to get a trade, do it. It's a great job that will give you good security and good income, and it can be hard work, but so are lots of lower paying jobs and that don't provide job security and good pay. Trade certifications in Red Seals anyway, they don't expire. It can be tough at times, but if you're willing to work hard and show up, you can succeed. There's so many more supports for women in trades now and so much more community than there was 15 years ago when I started. Even if you're isolated on the job site, there are tradeswomen networks all over the province that you can participate in in most communities that have those set up already. One other tip is that I recommend that when you're working, that you find someone that you really respect, someone who 
has good work ethic, a good attitude, and if possible, someone that understands the unique challenges you might be facing as a woman and seek feedback from them. I found at times that there's been a level of scrutiny and judgment that is not fair. And having that person that I really respect to seek feedback from can make it a bit easier. Try not to take things personally. If you find that there's a person that may treat you badly or differently because you're a woman, it's usually about them and their insecurities more than it is about you and your abilities as a tradeswoman. So trying to keep that in the back of your mind as, as you're working definitely helps. Very good points there. And I assume that the person that you're suggesting they seek out for uh, respectful feedback to what you're doing or dealing with could also be a sponsor for you, perhaps in other conversations to help you know, amplify the voice or the issues that you're facing in order to get some change, perhaps. Definitely. There's usually people within the organization in general, especially, I mean, I can speak to Canfor really only. It's been most of my experience in trades. There are so many people that are really passionate about this. And if you can build relationships and network with those people, or even just find somebody in your mill, whether it's, you know, another journeyman that you respect their work ethic, or maybe one of your leaders that you really respect their opinions and, and the way that they assert themselves on that sort of stuff. It's a little bit easier to take the feedback from those folks uh, when when you know that it's coming from a good place, you know, a place of non-judgment. So that's super important. I've been really lucky that generally everywhere I've gone, there's been at least one or two people that I can really look at for that kind of guidance. It doesn't need to be a lot of people. I just need one or two. That makes yeah, the difference. It really, it really does just take a couple of people supporting you and understanding what you're going through and to help with the battle for sure. Now, Canfor is a large company. It's quite advanced on this conversation, I would say. But given your experiences and and association with these BC women organizations that you've spoken about, what is your take on the sector overall on these issues? And how, how much do you think the sector overall is addressing these needs and working as Canfor? I'm not, you know, I'm not too familiar with the forestry sector in general. I do see lots, you know, I'm pretty involved on LinkedIn and I see that there's a lot of a lot of movement happening or a lot of conversations starting to happen. I think that in general industry has, you know, they've recognized this labor shortage and they've also recognized that people in general are, you know, they're demanding this or demanding equity and inclusion uh, in workplaces all over. So I, I think that we're seeing some traction with it now. Um, I do I do see a disconnect, maybe a little bit of a disconnect between what we what we want to do and what we say we want to do and what's actually happening out there on the mill floor. And I think that that just comes from we're just not there yet, whether it's with giving the folks the tools, you know, at the at the levels that that need those tools to have those conversations and, and getting to that point yet. Maybe that's what it is. I think that our accountability to inclusion and diversity is, it's really the most important thing to me. And it's not always the most important thing to everybody else. Maybe that's a little bit self-serving, but I, I definitely think that in order for, you know, these companies to succeed this day and age, this change needs to happen and it needs to happen fairly rapidly. And I don't know that there's a lot of time, time to do it 
necessarily very subtly. <laughs> you know, I think that there, there needs to be a, a major push. So what should leaders know about their mill operations work environment that they may not already know through the ERG process? And ERGs, again, for people is the employee resource groups. Right. So uh, I think that they should know that there is a bit of a disconnect. <laughs> so okay. I think we need to remember that while Canfor as a whole sees the issue and is working to address it, the folks that are delivering the messages to hourly workers might not have bought in or might not have all the tools to have the difficult conversations when folks speak out against the progress when that does happen. So sometimes I worry that we're trying very hard to not alienate people with maybe backwards views at the expense of the underrepresented people. So there's very toxic things that women, Indigenous, LGBTQ folks have to endure just to show up at work and do their job. Sometimes I feel like we don't challenge those toxic behaviors and viewpoints enough because we're worried we'll make the people with those viewpoints uncomfortable and they're not used to coming to work and being challenged in that way. To me, it can feel like we're sacrificing the comfort of those used to feeling uncomfortable for those that are not used to it. We're doing great work with our IND program, but I don't think that we can take our foot off the gas. Yeah, it's an interesting point about the um, making people work at feeling uncomfortable in their work environment. That's not what they come to work saying they want to do. That's not what they want, right? So No, but I think that industry has recognized that that is the reality for some. You know, in, in the formation of IT groups and, and starting to have these conversations, I think that we've recognized that is the reality for some people. And I think that now that we've recognized that, when we're not making this, well, I'm not saying we're not making it a top priority, but when we're not pushing as hard as we need to, I think we're knowingly allowing those people to continue to show up to a toxic workplace. That's tough. But your, your suggestion is greater accountability and especially with sort of the middle management levels who have to deal with a lot of people under them that aren't necessarily on board with this idea. That's Absolutely. A, yeah, that's often an issue I find with the work I'm doing is that you can get the executives bought in and they have mm -hmm. a mission and they have a new vision and they're talking about it. But it's that middle management that that's really needs to be engaged. And when I deal mm -hmm. with the oh, how to overcome resistance work, that is exactly where the rubber hits the road is with middle management. And if you do not have them bought in, they can take whatever messaging that they've been given on high and you know, crumple it up and throw it in the garbage. And so they have to be bought in and understand the the business imperatives behind the the motivation of this this culture shift. Like you say, there's the labor market demand, but there's also better solutions that come out for everybody. PPE is improved, right? Workplace, mm -hmm. workplace environments improved. Um, many Safety things. in general is improved, improved, you know, yeah. like all, all of these things. Um, I don't see any downfalls. You know, I don't see downfalls to not to progress. I see downfalls if we don't progress. A lot of it's about communication and education and with these folks. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Well, you're active in many circles, as we mentioned, with your work with the BC Tradeswomen Society and the BC Center for Women in the Trades. Are there any gaps you're seeing that need to be filled to attract more women and other underrepresented groups to the trades? Yeah, I would say the biggest gap I see now is at the boots on the ground level. So they need to understand the why and understand that these changes are not optional and that there needs to be accountability to IND. You know, even if a company has lofty IND goals, it doesn't help if the frontline leadership isn't getting the message. Um, a story from a woman at BCC Wit who had referred a tradeswoman to a, a job site that was 
looking to hire women and diversify, uh, when that woman showed up to her interview, it was with a boots on the ground supervisor who maybe wasn't a part of you know, the initiatives and, and didn't realize that what the company was trying to do was to diversify. And so when that woman showed up, she was met with the same questions that, you know, year after year and story after story, it's kind of the same thing, you know, well, do you think that you can do this work? It's very tough. You know, this stuff's very heavy. You're going to get dirty. You're going to be in the weather. And maybe these conversations that tend to happen with women more than any other group. And she was incredibly discouraged. And I think that that is unfortunately, a bit of a common theme, right? Like that disconnect, like we were just talking about between the executive team and then that middle management or boots on the ground level. We're doing lots of workshops and information sessions with BCC WIT, ITA and BC Tradeswomen Society, open to teens and adults to give info about trades and apprenticeship pathways. We intentionally utilize women from the trades in these so that young women and men can see that there are women working and being successful in the trades, supporting the involvement of women in trades to help recruit and bring awareness to trades uh, work to these underrepresented groups is crucial, but companies need to see the value in it at all levels. Having spoken to some teen girls about their interest in trades, I'm hearing stories that sound eerily similar to my own experience when I participated in shop class in high school, for instance. The treatment of the girls who want to participate by some of the boys is not okay, and we need to ensure that you know, E, I, and D is something that's being talked about at starting at a very young age. Um, and the outreach work of ITA, BCC, WIT, and BC Tradeswomen Society is trying to bridge that gap. I think that all of these groups can be a great asset uh, with all of their resources for industry to utilize. And I'm seeing that start to happen, which is good. But again, there's a long way to go. Definitely. So I have another question for you. I'm wondering, based on all that you've shared, if there's anything that the Free to Grow and Forestry Initiative could be doing to help you with your uh, situation there. I'm not really too sure about that, Kelly. That's, uh, I would have to probably delve more into you know what Free to Grow is, is doing currently. Um, I do know that we've got executives from all like all uh, forestry companies that are represented there, and I, I think a bit of the messaging is the same. You know, we we've got some really great initiatives, and we tend to look at the progress that we're doing and see the successes, which is fantastic, and think that. We need to celebrate those successes and then we need to move on. You know, we need to move on to the next step and, and, and realize that, you know, these, these successes that we're having with, uh, you know, employee resource groups and IND councils and that sort of thing is, that's really great, but then we need to move on to the next step. And I'm not really too sure what, uh, what that looks like, but I do think that it has, you know, we talked about, again, the middle management, and I think that that really is the key here. And I'm not really sure how to translate the work that we're doing in, into that, but that's, I think, where our biggest opportunity is. Well, I can just to answer to some of that, I guess, to, to expand on it is that with what we're doing with the training component, we are building online training that should be uh, available to the middle management. And what we're trying to do is get on the executives to engage in that training right now and have them provide feedback so it's as most the most meaningful it can be. Okay. So that'll be one piece. And I think the other piece where we can be helping is with communications and reinforcing these messages um, that you speak about with the workplace environment and the benefits that are for men and those in the positions currently so that they understand that there are benefits to them and that there are business imperatives that have to override 
traditional thinking. Mm -hmm. So um, those are two things that I want to leave you with that are currently going on. And I think supporting what you're trying to do in, in your circles of influence. So you can take that forward. That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate the work that, you know, everybody does outside of the industry. You know what I mean? I think of these people that don't necessarily have anything to personally gain from the work that they do. And I appreciate them so much. There are so many amazing people in our organization that have reached out to me to lend support. And again, don't have anything to gain by helping me out and, you know, supporting me. Uh, but they do it anyway. And it gives me gives me the energy I need when, you know, when things aren't going great to, to keep going and keep fighting the fight. <laughs> well, that's great. That's really great yeah. to hear. And I think you are now a model for others to, um, you'll be, you'll be able to help and support others and take that forward and, and encourage other women and support them through their early navigation of this career path. I sure hope so. Do you have any resources that you would recommend people going to or anything that uh, other women who are trying to consider this career path should go to? Absolutely. Um, you know, working in the forest industry is a great job in general. So if you can get a job in the forest industry, there are opportunities for trades. And right now the trades are difficult to recruit. So I see lots of mills putting apprenticeships up. So that's always a possibility. Other women interested in joining trades in general and that maybe aren't quite sure about that can absolutely contact apprenticeship advisors at ITA uh, that can go through all different options of trades and apprenticeship pathways. As well, if there are women that are interested that are hitting roadblocks, uh, the BC Centre for Women in the Trades is excellent. They have massive resources at this point, and they have all kinds of funding and supports as well to get women into the trade. So if that is a roadblock for women or other underrepresented groups as well, uh, definitely check them out. BC Trades Women's Society, we pretty much just advocate. So we're, you know, doing panels and, and talking to people and just trying to get the word out there about what is going on and create uh, a space of community for women in trades. All three of those are excellent and I'm sure there's many more, but that's just who I work with right now. That's a lot. You have other aspects to your experiences. It's not just as a mill operator. It's all these other BC organizations for women mm -hmm. in trades that, that is important for people to know about. And like you say, give a, give a voice to those resources and help um, guide people essentially. Yeah, and it's it, actually really incredible. The resources, these tradeswomen, they, you know, they lobbied the government and they were able to get the government to support the BCC WIT. And like, I can't speak enough about the resources that they have. Like if you come to me right now and you say, I want to get a trade, I can send you to them and they will work with you and figure it out. They will find you a sponsor. They will buy you tools. They will pay for your schooling. Like it's incredible. The encouragement that they have for, for women who want, want this as their, you know, their pathway. It's wild. <laughs> Thank you. That's excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today, Lana, before we close off the podcast? Uh, no, I think you pretty much covered it off. That was great. And I really appreciate you allowing me to do this and like getting to tell my story and talk about these resources that I had, that I am aware of for women in trades. Like it, it means a lot. So thank you. And I actually had a quick conversation with Ross also about the free to grow. And he kept talking about how you were, you were pushing for more. And I also really appreciate that. I <laughs> challenge them, you know, make it tough. <laughs> Yeah, because that's what we're talking about is yeah how we can we do help. we have to challenge them like good job pat on the back let's keep going right like uh -huh. Uh -huh. 
Okay, well, thank you very much for being with us today and, and sharing all your stories. Um, I'm sure the, the audience has benefited tremendously. I know I have. And um, I'm looking forward to remaining in touch with you and not just in person, but uh, on LinkedIn. You got it. And take a deep breath. It's over. I know. Now I got to go back <laughs> up to the real world. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. You're welcome. Gender, diversity, and inclusion are crucial to the advancement of a thriving and resilient forest sector. As we continue to grow and change, we all have a role to play in making our sector a place where everyone has the support they need to succeed and thrive. For more information on how you can take action and help make a difference, follow Free to Grow in Forestry on social media or visit us at www.freetogrowinforestry.ca. And if you have a story you think should be heard about an experience you have had or what you would like to see happen in the Canadian forest sector workforce, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at info at free to grow in Together, we can move forestry forward.